Hey, everybody. Absolutely fantastic episode of the Bitcoin show today. We have Meltem Demirers, the chief strategy officer at CoinShares on the show. She's such a fun guest, extremely knowledgeable about Bitcoin and the crypto ecosystem in general. She's invested in over 250 companies in the digital asset ecosystem. She's been a Bitcoiner since 2015, uh, has hosted podcasts, so she knows what she's doing. We talked to her about the current state of affairs with the Bitcoin community. Uh, whether or not there's a war going on. She talks about, you know, the conference that's coming up. She talks about a lot of different things. It's a really fun episode. Uh, we really hope you enjoy it and make sure that you share this podcast with your friends so we can get as many listeners as possible. Hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Bitcoin show. If it's your first time listening, we run the show every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time right here on Twitter Spaces, where we discuss all things Bitcoin and crypto ecosystem, past, present, and future. Uh, if you want to share the show, you can also share the Apple, Spotify, or any other podcast platform links. If you follow the Bitcoin Show Twitter account, we have all those links in there. And if you do enjoy the show, retweet the tweet that's pinned to the top. It's just the link to the show. We want to get this show in front of as many listeners as possible to help it grow. So re we really appreciate the support if you can do that. Uh, and if you want to contribute to the conversation, by all means, uh, request to speak towards the end of the show. We always let audience members onto the stage to talk to our special guests and to our panel to share their thoughts on Bitcoin and then ask any questions that they have. Uh, if you'd rather actually just write a tweet uh, instead of coming on stage, you can click on the little purple bubble in the bottom right of the screen uh, and post a tweet with your question or your thought, and we'll definitely address as many as we can throughout the show. I'm your host, P.O., here with my co-host extraordinaire. First off, Trevor Owens, an investor in Bitcoin startups, a partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund, CEO of Ninja Alerts, and of course, the host of the Ordinal Show Twitter podcast, a very talented podcast host in his own right. Trevor, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, P.O., live from Miami at Bitcoin Week Miami. Super excited here. So many great events and good vibes uh, in the Miami community around Bitcoin. So super glad to have uh, Meltem up here to chat with her. She's an OG in the space and someone who has you know, covered the space quite well beyond just Bitcoin, understands what's going on and would love to get her thoughts on, you know, this resurgence in Bitcoin culture. She's got her wizard PFP on, love to see it. And yeah, just so curious what the past few months, uh, her thoughts on them. Absolutely. Can't wait to talk to Meltem, our special guest for today. Meltem's not showing up as on stage for me, uh, but that actually has been a consistent issue with Twitter spaces where I can't see the people on stage. I'll take your word for it, Trevor. Uh, but moving on, Aubrey, also not sure if Aubrey's on stage, but Aubrey Strobel, the host of the Observation smash hit uh, YouTube show in the Bitcoin space, big time Bitcoin content creator. Aubrey is also a marketing partner at Trust Machines and the former head of communications at Lolly. Wouldn't be able to do this show without her. Aubrey, not sure if you're on stage with us right now. I know you might be traveling. Uh, I can't see you if you are on stage, uh, but everyone does need to know that. Oh, Aubrey, here we go. I'm actually on a plane right now on Wi-Fi. I don't know if you guys can hear me, but there there is connection issues, I think, for just the spaces in general. Just flagging. Fucking 
fucking legend who is on the show from an airplane. <laughs> Damn, moms. <laughs> Middle seat economy. You got it's a bear market, guys. Middle seat economy. Just talking on some flight right now. Look, see you next to someone. Not, it's not just bear market. It's fiscally prudent. Right? I love it. I love the, the frugal prudence here from Aubrey. What a badass coming in from the airplane 2023, connecting from everywhere. Aubrey, uh, you're going out of Miami, right? Headed to Miami right now. We'll be getting there at around five o'clock. So pumped pump to get there. Melt and I have a, a strong week planned. Yes. Hell yeah. If you see us around Miami, I recommend you run and run as fast as you can. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of the way, Miami. Meltem and Aubrey are here. Uh, well, that leads me. What, what an intro here. That leads me to our very special guest today. We have the Chief Strategy Officer for CoinShares, which is one of the leading European alternative asset managers specializing in digital assets, a Bitcoiner since 2015. She's invested in over 250 businesses in the digital asset ecosystem. And another podcast host, another badass uh, podcast host, I should add, of course, today's very special guest, Meltem Demers. Meltem, how's it going? It is going well. Um, I actually don't have a podcast, but you know, I love that I've been elevated to podcast host. Um, I briefly experimented with podcasting. Uh, I did a show called What Grinds My Years, which was yeah. a research-based podcast where we covered the topic of finance. Uh, but after about 21 episodes, we ran out of finance concepts to, to talk about. So. Well, look, I've, I've said before, Melton, that the one thing that all human beings have in common is that they've started and quit podcasts. But if you get even Barack Obama quit his podcast. So but you did get 20 podcast episodes in. So I give anybody that gets that far a lot of credit. That's why you, you earned that title. Um, but incredibly excited to have you here on this show and, and obviously so much to talk about. Uh, first off, how excited are you about Miami? Um, I would say my excitement is a level, a medium. Um, you know, I think right now, I'm just going to be very candid. This is, this is the Bitcoin show, but, but let me break it down. You, we've had this cultural schism in Bitcoin for a long time. And I think the schism really started for me uh, in 2016 uh, with the block size wars. And it's so funny. I call myself like crypto grandma sometimes because I do feel like I've been in this space professionally for quite some time, which eight years, nine years in, like that's not a long time in most industries, but in this industry, it somehow is, which cracks me up. Um, but I do feel, you know, we've been at this cultural crossroads, this ideological crossroads. And I do think going into this conference in particular, um, as I look at the speaker lineup, I just don't understand what most of the people on that speaker lineup have to do with Bitcoin to be like handed. Like most of those people don't build anything. There's a lot of influencers. There's a lot of like really random speakers. And at the end of the day, um, what I'm excited about, like the future belongs to the builders and the doers, not the critics. There are a lot of critics. There are a lot of people who have deep thoughts on a lot of things. They have commentary on a lot of things, but they don't contribute. And so I'm just really, honestly, I'm perplexed by the choice of programming. I'm perplexed by the agenda. I'm really excited to see amazing people that I love. I'll be speaking at the Bitcoin Builders Conference tomorrow which is being organized by the Stacks Foundation, where full disclosure, I am a board member. 
know there's a lot of criticism around Bitcoin L2s, Bitcoin layers, like modularity on top of Bitcoin general. But um, yeah, I guess I just don't really understand the choice of speakers. I don't really understand a lot of the topics. I don't understand what qualifications some of these people have or like why they're relevant. Um, so I'm just confused because there are a lot of people building really cool shit um, that I want to hear from, that I want to hear about. And last I saw, there was a plan to like chase them down and, you know, assault them at the, the conference, I think. I don't know, but like the level of just insanity and mental illness has really reached a new high for me. And so um, I'm honestly a little bit sad going into this year because I feel like it was an important event and um, a lot of people did rally around it. I know a lot of people aren't going this year because they're, they're confused. Everyone's just kind of confused. Like, wh what is this thing we're doing? How does this make sense? How does this get us any closer to the future we're all excited about, which is people actually using Bitcoin network in a productive way, productive being, you know, a way that, that drives transaction fees, that drives um, utilization, that drives just transaction throughput. And so that's my candid take. I'm confused. And maybe other people feel that way. Maybe other people don't. But uh, I want to hear from the people who are building things. I want to hear from the people who are shipping products. There's a lot of them. I want to hear from the people who are building businesses that generate revenue, like actually generate money, aren't just dependent on venture funding um, to, to survive. And there are a lot of those businesses, but I feel like the people who are actually doing the heavy work, the devs who are writing the code, the Bitcoin core contributors who are volunteers, who have chosen to dedicate their time and their energy to like making this possible, they're not getting the limelight. And that just, um, I don't know, it frustrates me. Not pulling any punches right off the back, uh, right off the bat. That was uh, that was awesome, Meltem. I saw Trevor raised his hand during that. I guess let's just get right into it. Trevor, do you have a, a question for Meltem based on that uh, on that commentary? Yeah, I mean that's not just something that I think like strikes me about this year, but that's something that has struck me like last year and like the year before as well. And I'm wondering, you know, a lot of the change in the ecosystem or like the change we're experiencing like, a change of the guard essentially where the culture is, is shifting and, you know, builders are being elevated more. I just wonder if it's been like, you know, these conferences are planned like far in advance, right? And this all happened in the past three months. You know, Meldon, do you think that next year's events are just going to look t like totally different from this year's? I mean, at the end of the day, it's about sponsorship dollars and like the people who organize the events have editorial control. So what I'm optimistic about is that, um, you know, a different set of people will look at this and organize their own events. I had the same frustration in 2017, which is when I started Crypto Springs. And uh, that was a great event series um, that we ran for, for three years in a row. I know that um, other people are starting to, to you know, host their own events with just a different take, a different perspective. Um, but yeah, look, I think build the future you want to see. I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. I'm still going to go to Miami. I'm going to go to the events that I think are interesting, that I want to be at with the people I want to be with. And again, you know, um, what's beautiful about this space, like there are no leaders, there are no rules, there's no one here who tells you what you can and can't do. So I'm optimistic that a different group of people will step up and just cultivate, curate the type of events that they want to attend so that they can hear from the people that, that they're interested in hearing from. But it is, it's just interesting, you know, um, the culture war has really permeated every aspect of our lives. I personally do not subscribe to the culture wars because I don't think people actually understand what, what a real war is. And I've seen real war and it's not good. It's very uh, chaotic. It's very destructive. 
And um, the culture war, I think, is a distraction and it keeps us from accomplishing the thing we're here to do. Divided, you know, is how we're weak. I think united is how we're, we're strong. And so, yeah, I just, I don't want to add further fuel to this um, ideological culture war, pardon, which really isn't even a, a war. Because like the Bitcoin protocol exists, it's live, it works. It's been running for 13 plus years. And so I don't, I don't really understand what the controversy is just because you don't like so the way someone's using Bitcoin. Uh, good fucking luck. Like become a core dev. Good luck. Sorry, just to be very Love. blunt, but like people are trying to create culture. We have enough culture wars in like our default reality where you're trying to bring your silly culture war to Bitcoin. And a lot of it is frankly, we have a lot of influencers, like multi-level marketing type people who are trying to sell sponsorships for their podcasts. And I get that. Like you need sponsors for your podcast, but that's not the way to do it. And frankly, I don't think it's constructive. And I just think it's embarrassing. Totally agree, Meltem. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to sponsor the Bitcoin show, email Pete. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Meltem. No, no, no. Uh, I get Trevor. it. Look, it's a business. It's a business. I get it. But at the same time, I just think it's intellectually dishonest, right? And so, you know, if you're going to be fanatical about your beliefs or if you're going to take these strong ideological stances, you need to look in the mirror. And I think a lot of people have criticized me over the years, but like I look in the mirror and I know who I am. I know what I do. I know what I've done. And I'm very honest with myself. So, I just think people need a hard dose of reality and they're living on some alternate reality planet where like somehow that isn't the case. Um, so I, I just find the whole thing, like I said, I'm very confused by it. I don't have a stake in it. Like I have no horse in this game. My only horse in this game is I want Bitcoin to, to win. And I think it is going to win. It's sort of inevitable, right? Um, but I just think that it's, it's just not helpful. So I just, again, I'm confused. I'm perplexed. We don't need to talk about it anymore. I think it's going to be an interesting week, but I'm just overall confused by how people like, what are we accomplishing? What does winning look like? I guess I don't really understand what, what winning looks like to a lot of these, these people, because it just, it seems to be vitriol all the way down. So, so what is winning here in this context? I, I, I'm just not clear. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, here to bet on the Bitcoin horse, moving like sea biscuit. Trevor, you have your hand raised again. Let's keep it going. Question for Melton. Yeah, I'm curious, Melton. Do you think this is like a culture war? Or do you think it's like actually politics underneath and like the political environment of Bitcoin is different than, let's say, Ethereum or some of the other ecosystems? And like, how do you look at it? Look at it. Uh, overall. Yeah, look, I think that's a really great question and a really great point, Trevor. Um, so I had the misfortune of being involved in Bitcoin Core in uh, 2015, 2016, and 2017. And when I say involved, like I'm not a developer, we all know that. Um, but I mean involved in terms of helping organize, bringing people together, like bringing ideas for how we could communicate about what was going on Bitcoin Core. And uh, look, it's always been about power. I think one of the challenges when you don't have a center of power, right? Uh, when you don't have institutions like the Ethereum Foundation or like a foundation, um, when you don't have, you know, executives that are sort of legitimized uh, in terms of their ownership or their leadership, when that, uh, when that role has to be earned um, in this free market where supremacy of ideas, um, you know, wins, 
I think it's really a lot of what you see is like appeals to authority, right? Uh, appeals to credibility. People talk about how many followers they have. It's really about get, grabbing the biggest megaphone you can and infecting as many people as you can with, with your specific view of the world. Now, what that accomplishes, again, I don't think people are really so strategic or really so clear. Um, I'm a strategist, I think, of the world in terms of like strategic games you want to play. So I'm not really sure what the end game here is. But I do think this absence, you know, left in, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, purposely left in the Bitcoin ecosystem, there have been battles over the last, you know, decade on how to fill that, that void and it'll continue. So I think um, it makes sense as to why that is. I just, again, I'm perplexed as to what winning looks like for these folks, like what what does winning mean? Does it mean we go back to the state of Bitcoin where it was six months ago, where transaction activity was an all-time low? Like, is, are we winning yet? Or does it mean we have transaction fees going through the roof, uh, hash rate, you know, at a two-year high? We now have over one million unique holders uh, that hold one Bitcoin or more each. Like, to me, that's winning. But I, I don't know if that's winning to, to everyone. So um, I think that's my big question. You know, it's it's great to, to fight, but you know, the first thing you need to know when you play a game is what game are you playing? And I just think with a lot of this Bitcoin culture war and the Bitcoin like narrative that we see, I'm just not really sure that people understand what game they're playing or what winning in the game uh, looks like. And so, you know, it's kind of rule number one of engagement is know what game you're playing and what winning looks like to, to you. So I don't know, I'd be curious to hear for other people here, um, what do you think winning means in this this context? Well, I think from my perspective, you know, the, the folks that you're talking about, Meltem, I think winning for them is just kind of like uh, confirming the Bitcoin religion that they've subscribed to over the X number of years, which really kind of boils down to like a resistance uh, to change and a fixed ideology from a, like a religious standpoint. Okay, but, and it's kind of hard to get back. Okay, but yeah. let's talk about that, right? Okay. So one of the reasons why I get really excited about Bitcoin believing its supremacy is because of thermodynamics, right? And like, we all love thermodynamics, not to get weird on you, but like, we love thermodynamics. Now, what is the third law of thermodynamics? Anyone? Off the top of my head, I don't have it. I, I, I majored in civil engineering, Meltem, so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get into the heat stuff. Okay. Well, I'm not an expert on it, but my dad's a scientist. So like, you know how people go to Sunday service? I was forced to read Isaac Asimov and like recite Boyle's law. That was that was my childhood. Love it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was weird. It ex the the autism is explained there. Um, but look, I think it's um, you know the the third law of thermodynamics is that all things tend towards entropy, right? Entropy is one of these things that cannot be avoided. Now, what is entropy? Entropy is the state of order or disorder of a system. Entropy is the only constant in our universe, meaning systems generally tend towards disorder. And then sort of the, the other side of that, right, the antithesis or the opposite of that is order. And if we look at kind of the history of human civilization, it's this constant battle, right? And this happens in the natural world as well, and it's programmed into the universe thermodynamically. It's this constant battle between order and disorder. So I kind of look at what's happening here, and it's like this sprawl and this chaos and this, this entropy um, is a natural order of things. And so to fight for the world to stay static Right. This is what we see in the establishment as well. If we look at the war between like the boomers and our generation, if we look at this generational sort of political war happening, it's the same thing. There are people who want things to stay static and there's a group of people who recognize the world is a dynamic, ever changing place filled with entropy. 
And the only way to survive is to lean into the chaos. And so I just think it's very funny because we have a group of people who claim or proclaim to believe in thermodynamics, yet are attempting to violate one of the most important rules of thermodynamics, which is that chaos is inevitable and change is inevitable. And so I'm just like, again, I'm perplexed. You know, you say you believe in these things, you say you understand them, but do you really? Because change is just, it's inevitable and you adapt or you you die, you evolve or you die, right? Like that is the history, that is the natural order of our known universe. And so I just feel like Bitcoin's going through the same struggle. It's like, we gotta evolve or we're not gonna go anywhere. And so uh, I'm on the side of evolution and maybe that makes me a heretic. Uh, I've been hung many times already, so I'm ready to be crucified another time for my heretical beliefs. Let's go. What a martyr. (laughs) Love it, Meltem. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean no, to cut no, you off. No, no, no. Sorry, I just get excited about entropy. So that that was just my only thought process there. <laughs> well, it was awesome. Uh, Trevor, you have your hand raised again. Trevor's on fire, too. Uh, I yeah, love get, back get in Trevor, here, Trevor. Go, go off. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we have seen, like, misaligned incentives in terms of, like, people who are in positions of leadership. Maybe it's podcasters. And this can happen in other ecosystems, too, like, even with the, the war between, you know, OpenSea and Blur, like you can have a race to the bottom where if there's a, a one player just fighting for market share, but they're they're doing so in a way that is, you know, uh, a race to the bottom that probably hurts the space overall, but all they care is about market share, for example, you know, then, you know, there can be like long-term negative implications of that. And I think with the Bitcoin space, like I wonder about specifically like audience capture and like sort of, uh, the the podcasters, for example, you know, not necessarily even caring about what it looks like to win for Bitcoin. And I think there isn't a lot of conversation um, in the Bitcoin space. A lot of it's led by a culture of like people thinking about economics, for example, or like, you know, what Bitcoin has traditionally been good at, which is just this idea of like a, a better form of money being like the, the, the main talking point over and over again, like every podcast episode about economics, but it's not about like what we, what, you know, I'm, I've experienced like web two and in Silicon Valley, which is like, you know, growth hacking, go to market, you know, use cases, you know, two-sided markets. How do you solve a two-sided market problem? Like there isn't a lot of discussion in Bitcoin about, about adoption or like the, some of the, some of the adoption use cases I think have were well-intentioned in the last cycle. Like, you know, I was, thinking even like, hey, there's a plausible scenario where lots of governments start to adopt it. Like we saw El Salvador and like that would be a series of dominoes. But it seems like some of these, um, the data is like coming in that some of these paths are not as, you know, clear or guaranteed as we think. But now there's not like a discussion of alternatives. And so I do worry about like misaligned also. Oh. Trevor, we lost you there right at the end. Okay, but okay, so I just I want to add on to what Trevor's saying. So what you're talking about here, Trevor, is empirical evidence, right? And the world I operate in, right, and the world that like most of us operate in, there's belief, um, and I think a lot of this is belief. And when I got into this industry, right, there was nothing, right? There was there was no other assets. It was really just Bitcoin, and like we built this thing on pure belief. And the belief is really important, the proselytizing and evangelism is really important. But for belief to turn into conviction and to like manifest into reality, you need the empirical evidence. 
And when we look at the empirical evidence, right, the data points aren't there. Now, that's not to say we need to throw out all of the beliefs, but one of the things we're notoriously bad at is like Bitcoin culture likes to say to the world, well, it's not that we're wrong, it's that the market's wrong. Like, nah, bitch, the market is right. The market is the ultimate ultimate arbiter of, of truth. Um, people vote with their wallets. And if you look at the numbers, right, you have to ask yourself, well, why is the empirical evidence not matching our, our beliefs? And it's because I think, again, we focus so much on um, this this narrative um, that isn't really supported by, by data. Um, and what I think is the most telling thing here is like, do you guys remember plan B, like that hundred trillion, whatever dude and his, yep. uh, what was it like? Stock to flow model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's been pr- disproven by empirical evidence. Yet, like, we intellectually continue to jerk off to this thing that has been empirically disproven, which is not to say it was a bad idea, which is not to say it wasn't interesting and really important to the narrative and sort of advancing. Like, I'm not knocking the attempt. I think it was a valiant attempt. I think it was important. I think it catalyzed a ton of conversions to the religion, right, if you will, if we want to call it that. But when we're presented with facts and empirical evidence that directly contradicts our hypothesis, typically if you're conducting, you know, a scientific experiment or if you're running, a, you know, a, if, you're, if you're engaging in serious, like, sort of work, you would form a hypothesis, you would test the hypothesis by gathering empirical data, empirical evidence, and then that would allow you to accept or reject the hypothesis. And if the hypothesis is rejected, you would adjust the hypothesis or the test parameters, right, until you arrived at something that could be empirically proven. And somehow, for being like really scientific mathematical people, somehow here we want to throw this entire notion out of the window. And I just think that is like one step too far removed from any sort of objective reality. So unsubscribed for me. <laughs> I love Imeltum. And, and you know, you've kind of uh you've made clear your position on the current battle, uh, you know, of this war that we don't want to talk about. Uh, but I'd love to ask, you know, I, part of this battle, right, is this whole ordinals protocol yeah, inscribing on Bitcoin. I'm so sorry, Pio. Can I just say though, this war, like it's Absolutely. it's not actually a war. You know why it's not actually a war? Because it doesn't fucking it doesn't me. fucking matter what you believe. And this again, like it's gonna cover ordinals, BRC twenty, whatever. It doesn't matter what you believe. And here's why it doesn't matter. I don't care. You can do all the podcasts. You can write all the angry, like you can do whatever you want. At the end of the day, protocol works. The network functions. Why? Because that's hard coded. So until we change the protocol, until we change the network, like those things will not change. And that's one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin is Bitcoin, like honey badger does not give a fuck. And that is not meant to be mean. Uh, Like there are instances in which I'm frustrated by that. I'm sure other people are as well, but that's literally the whole point of how Bitcoin was designed. And so the war isn't actually a war. It is a silly distraction for a silly prize that is, I don't even know what the prize is, as I've said, there is no war. There really is no war. Um, We've done this before, we'll do it again. I've personally been through like two battles for the heart of Bitcoin or whatever people wanna call it. It doesn't exist because it doesn't matter. I mean, look, I'm, I'm totally on the same page. And, you know, I wanted to ask you because you've been in the game for so long, you know, we've, we've pointed out since 2015 and in this space, that really is a long time. You know, this cycle compared to previous cycles, 
you know, what do you think the key differences are? And, you know, what's your level uh, of kind of optimism for, you know, big time advancement going into the next cycle? Like we have things that we've never had before in Bitcoin. I feel like it's a very exciting time. Obviously, there's some people that feel differently, uh, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Look, and look, I'm with you. I personally am incredibly excited. Here's why. If I look at the evidence, right, and again, my job, I, and again, blame my, my father for this, I look at the evidence. So when I look at the evidence, we look at uh, sentiment. Sentiment, right, I think has really matured. We see a lot of very credible, intelligent, articulate people who have very nuanced takes on Bitcoin. I think that's incredibly important. So the sentiment is there. Number two, we look at the flows. The capital flows are there, right? Quarter after quarter, inflows into Bitcoin continue. We also look at um, just metrics around the network itself, right? Network utilization is up, transaction fees are up, meaning willing people are willing to pay for block space, meaning people value block space economically. I don't care what they're using the block space for. Like it, it, it doesn't matter because it's not my job to be an arbiter of block space. There is no electricity police. There's also no block space police. So like, I don't know where these people are coming from who believe that they're like suddenly the block space police is here um, because it's a purely economic function. And it's like, this baffles the mind that these people can go on all day about economics yet fail to understand the most rudimentary economics of all, which is supply and demand. Like if there is demand for block space and there's limited supply, then people are willing to pay more for their block space. That's incredibly positive for the Bitcoin network and its security model. So that's good. Uh, Bitcoin distribution in terms of ownership, getting more diversified, as I mentioned, really important milestone cross this, this week. Um, over 1 million people or 1 million wallets, I should say, um, hold one Bitcoin or more. Uh, it's a really important metric in my view, just the overall dispersion and the Gini coefficient. Um, we look at uh, the length of time that people hold. We see, you know, uh, Bitcoin moving from weak hands to strong hands. That's important. So there's just like all of these empirical data points, venture funding, right? Another one, if we look at the application layer being that's on top of Bitcoin, there's a lot more venture funding going into not just Bitcoin only companies, but Bitcoin first companies. I think, again, from like an economic viability perspective, being a Bitcoin only company is not really economically viable. Being a Bitcoin first company is, is very viable. So I just think that's a distinction people don't, don't really understand. But if we look at all of these metrics, like these data points, this empirical evidence, I think there is a lot to be excited about. And the biggest thing, honestly, the biggest thing that I'm most excited about at all, there are so many people I know who are super creative, influential, like dynamic people who have a real impact, have built things in this world that we use every day. And they have never once for the last however many years I've known them given a flying F about Bitcoin. And now with ordinals with BRC20, all of a sudden they're interested because there's suddenly something interesting that they can use in ways that are relevant to them. And so again, if we look at this innovation that's happening, you may agree with it, you may not agree with it. Like, do I think that we need pictures on the Bitcoin blockchain? Not necessarily. Am I excited about it? Yeah, because there are a lot of people who are excited about that. Is greed the driving factor? Maybe, but guess what? Greed has been the driving factor of Bitcoin for the last eight years, right? So I just think, again, um, the fact that there is enthusiasm and excitement, the fact that there is now discussion even of modular development, where when that was discussed like eight years ago, that was haram and I was called an infidel for even daring suggest that maybe we have modular layers built on top of Bitcoin. Like, 
the fact that that's now a conversation to me is super incredibly exciting and it's so important because for this thing to grow, right, we need as big of a tent, as big an umbrella as we can get. And there's now so many more people who are interested in and excited about and following what's going on. So um, yeah, I'm excited. And I think that enthusiasm is gonna translate into people who like to build things, people who like to create actual durable culture, getting excited about what's happening in this ecosystem. And so um, I think that's really exciting. Sorry, I get very like fired up about this. But again, I just, I've been a critic in the past and being a critic is very easy. And you get the dopamine hits from, from Twitter because people like your tweet. Like, Twitter is not real life. Get off the freaking internet. It's not real life. Just because you tweeted something that gets 100 likes it doesn't make it real fucking life. Real fucking life happens in the place where people live. And guess what? It's how people spend their money. It's how people spend their time. When people spend their money and their time on Bitcoin, that is exciting to me. So just, again, sorry, I'm getting very fired up. I'm sitting outside. I'm in New York. I may have had a glass of wine for lunch, nothing else. Um, so I'm feeling good. <laughs> well, on a Tuesday, I love it, Meltem. Um, and please do not apologize uh, for cooking on the Bitcoin show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bitcoin show. We do this every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. The show is also available on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to share it with people outside the space, if you want to support the show, please retweet the tweet that's pinned to the top. It's just the link to this Twitter spaces. We want to get this in front of as many listeners as we can. If you have questions for Melton, please uh, click on the purple bubble in the bottom right of your screen. Write them there. We'll also be letting people on stage a little bit later in the show. So feel free to share whatever you'd like to share. Melton, you know, when we had Eric Wall on the show two weeks ago, he, from a technical perspective, broke down that when you add some of this complexity to Bitcoin, while obviously it's good for the chain because it leads to more activity, there is potential uh, that you know some of the fundamental security of Bitcoin could be compromised. Is that a concern for you at all? Because I do think that you know the the folks that you were talking about before would probably point to that. I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Look again. I think the security of a Bitcoin. There's a few different ways to think about it. Right. Number one is security just from um, an economic perspective, and I think um, higher transaction fees, more demand for block space, creates more uh, incentives to secure uh, Bitcoin from an economic perspective. And so I actually would believe the opposite, that more demand for block space like improves the security budget for uh, Bitcoin. But I'm not nearly as like uh, technically well-versed on these things. So I would, you know, if that's what Eric Wall said, that's what he said. I don't have the qualifications to sort of debate him at an engineering level because that's not my core competence. Um, I also think that when it comes to the sort of incentives, right, the, the biggest thing that, um, that matters to me when it comes to security is the incentives, right? Um, again, the more attention, the more eyeballs are on Bitcoin, the more adversarial sort of area for surface attack there is and the more incentive there is to keep um to keep the, the integrity of the network intact and the more helpful that is to number one ensuring there's adequate funding for research can i just tell you how hard it is oh, sorry the wind's blowing it is so hard to raise money for bitcoin core development nobody pays for it nobody is willing to pay for the engineering that is required to keep the bitcoin network secure there is a small group of people in this space and companies in this space there's maybe 20 that actually fund core development. 
and a lot of them do it out of their own pocket, right? And so to me, what's astounding is you have all of these people who will sit here and talk about security or talk about how incredible the Bitcoin network is. They do not contribute a single cent of money to Bitcoin Core, which is what keeps the chains secure from an engineering perspective. So respectfully, like next time someone on your show talks about Bitcoin security, I'll just ask them, do you donate to Bitcoin Core? And if so, what percent of your income did you donate or what percent of your Bitcoin holdings did you donate last year to the engineering work that is required to keep Bitcoin bug free? And see how they respond to that question. And then from there, we can have a conversation. But I personally donate to Bitcoin Core Development. My company donates to Bitcoin Core Development. So I just think it's very important. Like, people don't understand. It's it's not just the network in itself. There are bugs. There are attacks, right, that need to be prevented. And so supporting Bitcoin Core Development is incredibly important. We don't have a budget for that. There is no pre-mine that pays for that. There is no you know, developer incentive that's built into each block. So it's very important that the community funds this. I don't see that happening. So um, Bitcoin core development, incredibly important from an engineering perspective, ensuring there are adequate resources with people who are sufficiently talented. Bitcoin core engineering is incredibly hard over the last two years. I've been really dismayed that a ton of really talented Bitcoin core engineers have left the ecosystem. A, because just the economic incentives aren't there. They get paid like 150, 180K a year. They can make 10 times that somewhere else. So that's number one, the economic incentives. But number two, the personal attacks and the politicization of their work. Like, it's, it's really hurtful to me to see that happening because these are quite literally the people who are working really hard to keep this public infrastructure secure. So I think that's another really component of sort of the security model that doesn't get talked about. But again, I think you should ask your guests about, because if they be pontificating about security, just ask them what they're doing to support Bitcoin Core. Um, but yeah, I think, look, generally, the more eyeballs there are, the more attack vectors there are, um, the more people, the more incentives there are, the bigger the honeypot is, right? The more attention there is on security. So uh, from a technical perspective, perhaps Eric Wall is correct from an engineering perspective. I think from a social dynamics and a financial incentives perspective, when there are greater financial incentives to attack the network, um, that means there to be more vigilant, but also hopefully it will mean there is a greater budget or greater uh, resources allocated to, not just financial resources, also human capital and social capital allocated to just being mindful of these different um, uh, threats, right? And so um, I do think that What's happening is a net positive, and I do think it's a net positive for continued investment in this very ignored area, which is um, investing in Bitcoin's security model. So sorry, I'll stop there. I didn't. I don't know if I really answered the question. I just went off on a tangent, but I think no, you, you, d- you totally did. Figured out now yeah, that totally tangents did. are my specialty. No, no. Your great answers are your specialty. Uh, you know, I love the message, love the support for Bitcoin core developers. You are trying to get us to have guests on the show and then hit them with a gotcha right it's, there with that question. It's not a gotcha. But... It's not a gotcha. <laughs> it's, it's not a gotcha at all. It is just, I think, um, what I find lacking in a lot of the conversations is realism. And it's just practical realism. Like, you want nice shit. Guess what? Nice shit is expensive. So are you willing to pay for this nice shit that you proclaim that you would like to have? And if you aren't, then respectfully, I am not interested in hearing you LARP about it. So I just think people need to put their money where their mouth is. I have put, I don't have the money that some of these people have. I've done 
fine for myself, but I put my money where my mouth is. I support Bitcoin companies. I invest in them with my own money, with my company's money. I, I try to support where I can. I contribute to Bitcoin core development. Like I contribute to the things that are important. I host events. I spend my time and energy on those things. Like if you proclaim to care about those things, then please show me the evidence, show me the receipts. And if you don't, then respectfully, I suggest you go back and you invest some time and energy, and then you come back and lecture the rest of us about what it means to be a good Bitcoiner. That's, that's just all I would say. Show Meltem the receipts. Trevor, you have a question for Meltem? Yeah, Meltem. So Nick Carter, I believe in August of last year, in his epithet to uh, Bitcoin maximalism, famously said that there weren't enough startups or, you know, market demand for him to invest uh, $100 million a year into Bitcoin startups. And since Ordinals uh, has uh, taken the space by storm, we've had him on the Bitcoin show. And I asked him, uh, Do you did you change your mind on this now that Ordinals have opened a new design space? And he said, yes. I'm curious what your take is on it. Um, you know, do you think previously there wasn't enough, um, enough startups to invest $100 million a year into? And then do you think that Ordinals fundamentally changes that that calculation? Um, yeah, and I actually um, I was I was looking at that earlier. I was listening to um, Laura Shin's great podcast. She did one uh, this week with Dan Held, and um, I forget who the second guest was, but it was about um, BRC twenty. That was me. It was Trevor. Oh, Trevor. That was oh me. my god! Trevor. I'm so sorry, Trevor. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I give you, give when them. I see you in I'll Miami, give. I give you full permission for a slap in the face. Wow. He's very forgettable, Melton. No, no, Don't no. worry about I knew, it. I was <laughs> going to say Trevor, um, but I was like, was it Trevor? Okay. I'm sorry. Bitcoin Frontier Fund. My bad. Okay. I, okay. So first of all, I think it depends on the stage at which you are investing. Number one. Number two, I think it depends on what you mean when you say a Bitcoin company. Um, and I want to expand on that a bit. And number three, I think it depends on um, the style of investing. So number one, um, when I think, I think it depends on the stage, like Castle Island, I believe, to the best of my knowledge, what making investment is early stage companies, the sort of their model with their size of funds and the way they deploy capital. There is opportunity to deploy capital at the later stages, right? There are growth equity opportunities. Um, and so I, I do think it's out there, but I do think at the early stage, it's very hard to find Bitcoin first, not Bitcoin only companies, Bitcoin first, and we'll get to that. It's hard to find Bitcoin first companies that are competently run, right? Because again, I'm investing in an economic business as my business. I have to return capital to LPs. There are a lot of Bitcoin businesses out there. This one gets into business model. There are a lot of Bitcoin companies out there that are not companies in the sense that they generate profit, but they are... Um, I don't know how to describe them. They're like research projects or, um, I don't know. They're not for profit. Not for profits. So they just, their, their mission, their mandate is not to generate enterprise value or EV that leads to me creating returns for my LPs as an investor. And I know people are like, Oh my God, like, well, you, uh, it's not all proud. Like, yeah, bitch, it is profit. Guess what? Guess why LPs give you money. It's to make them money. So I just, again, this like lack of like reality understanding is, it, it's, it boggles my mind. I'm like, do you understand that if a bunch of firms get spun up to invest in Bitcoin companies that aren't companies that make no money, that have no potential to ever make money, LPs aren't going to back Bitcoin only funds. Like, do you understand how that, that works? That is, that is a 
really basic premise. When you run a business and you're a fiduciary for other people's capital, your job is to steward that capital responsibly. It means you have a strategy, number one, and you adhere to that strategy. But number two, you generate returns. And so I think, again, um, the hard part is if you are a firm that wants to grow and accrue and amass a UM and generate returns to distribute back to your LPs, you just have to be uh, like really thoughtful of where you deploy capital, what types of businesses you deploy capital into. And the issue is we've seen a lot of Bitcoin-only companies that I think have a very strong ideological mandate or mission or have a very ideological vision, but they aren't necessarily going to be companies that generate a financial return. And so that's not a negative thing. It doesn't mean those things shouldn't exist. It just means that venture capital probably isn't the right model for them. At the later stages, there are companies to invest in. Um, I don't think they're Bitcoin-only companies. I'm also a bit confused about what it means to be like a Bitcoin company versus not a Bitcoin company, because there are plenty of companies that are companies that utilize Bitcoin, are Bitcoin first, are net positives for the Bitcoin space, but it's not Bitcoin exclusively. Um, I'm personally an investor in Casa, and I know there was a lot of outrage recently because Casa started as a Bitcoin-only company um, supporting, uh, you know, multi-sig wallets for Bitcoin, making it really easy to custody your own Bitcoin in a secure multi-sig setup. They recently announced support for Ethereum as well. Doesn't mean they're going to stop being Bitcoin-focused and it's a Bitcoin-first company. But if we look at the growth prospects for that business, right, they're building a business. And for that business to grow and for them to afford amazing engineers and amazing infrastructure and amazing research and all of the things that they need to continue to sort of be at the forefront of security, um, they need to continue to to grow as a, a business. And so um, I think, again, Bitcoin-only businesses, maybe, but I think Bitcoin first is, is good enough for me. And at the end of the day, what I ask is, how do you contribute to Bitcoin? Um, and at the end of the day, there are a lot of companies that contribute a lot to Bitcoin that are not Bitcoin-only companies. So I do think there are more companies to invest in. Are they Bitcoin-only companies? No, not necessarily. Is that my focus? No, not necessarily. Bitcoin first is is good for me. And I also think there are a lot of founders out there who love Bitcoin, started with Bitcoin, ideologically really focused on Bitcoin, but they understand that their job is to run a business. And so they run their business uh, as fiduciaries in a responsible, professional, mature way. And um, I think that for me is more important in my role as an investor than focusing on how pure someone's Bitcoin is, is. So I'll stop there. Trevor has his hand up. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And before we go to Trevor, it's like, you know, both Trevor and I are startup founders. And, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint to put basically religion where you're saying that only this asset is good, even though you are building a technology or a product that easily could offer support to another uh, blockchain in this instance that has a ton of activity on it, to just totally ignore that because of ideological reasons when it would be a totally ethical thing to do to offer that support and it would be a major help for your business would be ridiculous. So I love the way that you're kind of talking through that, Melton. Trevor, you have your hand raised. What's going on? Yeah, I have, a, I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, I love the Bitcoin first approach. I mean, even coin, and I love like focus, right? So even Coinbase started just focused on Bitcoin before they, you know, and just focusing on making that feature and that value proposition really strong in the product market fit there. And then it moved, you know, to offer um, more products to to their audience. 
And I wonder if, you know, and actually I also think it's like, if you look at like Steve Jobs, like he never donated toward to charity, right? Like there's an argument that actually like a, some for-profit companies have had the biggest impact on society in a beneficial way compared to a lot of nonprofits. I mean, there's nonprofits that have also been very um, beneficial for society, but it's, you, you don't have to be a nonprofit to benefit society. A lot of for-profit ones do. I wonder though, if there's like, there's been a lot of cognitive dissonance, I think. And I wonder if like part of the challenge has been there hasn't been like a clear path for those who are like, have a lot of conviction about Bitcoin to, um, you know, to do that. And now with like BRC 20s, ordinals, the design space opening that we can see uh, those uh, individuals who are, do have a very high conviction on Bitcoin there, they have a new path forward that will lead them to making a bigger and more sustainable business. So hold on, Delta? wait, Trevor, I want to talk about Coinbase for a moment. How many Bitcoin core engineers are employed by Coinbase? Do you want to take a guess? Uh, zero? No. Negative five. No, I'm just kidding, Malcolm. <laughs> uh, is, it, is it under 10? <laughs> yes, they employ two Bitcoin core engineers. Now, look at, pick any company in the Bitcoin space that people fucking send for. How many Bitcoin core engineers do they employ? Zero is the answer. Zero, 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 zero. Okay, so just what, and why do I raise that point? I just think it's really important to understand talking is great, action is hard. You may not agree with Coinbase. You may not like Coinbase. That's totally fine. But who employs Bitcoin Core engineers? Who doesn't? Who contributes to Bitcoin Core engineers? Who doesn't? Like, look at the things that actually matter. What are people doing with their money? And that is the important thing to look at. So again, I just it's really easy to hate on, and this is not a direct response to anything you said, Trevor, but just when you raise the point of Coinbase, like Coinbase gets a lot of flack and people are like, oh my God, Coinbase, these shit coins. The majority of Coinbase's business is still Bitcoin. Guess why they list shit coins? Because they need to make money to pay for nice shit so that we can have nice shit in this industry. Like, do you guys understand that nice shit costs money? I just like, I get so frustrated because we repeatedly bite the hand that feeds. I'm like, Coinbase is listing Doge and Pepe and whatever else. Like, who knows what it is? Who cares what it is? You get to have a publicly listed company with a huge budget fighting battles for you on the hill, fighting battles for you elsewhere, and hiring people who build nice shit that we like to use and that we like to have. So full stop there. Um, now, when it comes to cognitive dissonance, I think the biggest issue is this, like, there is again, just a complete detachment from reality sometimes. Um, yes, we all believe in this future, right? Where like Bitcoin is, it already is, in my view, a G20 monetary asset, right? If we look at just the size of, of M1 currencies, like we have memed a reserve currency into existence. Like we did it, fam, and we did good. Um, now the question is, what's the next step? Well, the next step is for it to become usable and viable, what it's going to take is yes, companies in our space getting built, but also us partnering with companies who've built the world's largest distribution on and off ramps. The world's largest companies when it comes to distribution are not banks. They're not financial institutions. They're not credit card companies. Do you know what they are? They're social networks. Social media. Social networks. Fa Facebook, 3 billion users. Okay? The Facebook team from DM left. They're now building a Bitcoin Lightning-focused startup. 
that's a W. That's the win. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Raise a ton of money. Nobody talks about it. You know why it doesn't fit the Bitcoin narrative. Number two biggest network in the world. Guess what it is? It's not Twitter. It's not Blue Sky. Guess what it is? Anyone? Hack it. Uh, TikTok? No. <laughs> What is the number two? What's the number two biggest social network in the world? YouTube. Oh, YouTube. Yeah. No, it's China. You guys, come on, come on. Where's my China at? It's um. WeChat. WeChat, exactly. And WeChat yeah. is a super app, right? Number three is um Kakao, right? There, these are not just U.S.-based companies. There are these massive networks, social networks, and in the case of WeChat and others, they also have financial services embedded into the app. So again, I think a lot of times when we talk about adoption, when we talk about distribution, you know, we're all so busy building these new things, but these massive distribution channels exist. So it is important that companies that work with enterprises are there because they're going to be the partners to these massive mega corporations. Like they can't work with a company that has 20 engineers and has like $10 million in the bank, right? For the world's largest social media network to be able to reliably use Bitcoin infrastructure, they need a legitimate partner that they can work with who can support that level of activity. So I think sometimes like we just aren't really cognizant of what it takes to make these partnerships and relationships work in the quote unquote real world. And I hate using that phrase. But um, again, this is where, you know, I hate to say it, but sometimes I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because I have worked in that enterprise world. And I just, I look at the way that people pitch these partnerships or just how unrealistic they're being that adoption. The arc of time is very long. It takes very long for a new technology to get integrated. Um, it took over 25 years for the smartphone to be adopted, right? And we're still not at peak saturation. So I just think sometimes we're just so willfully negligent of, the pace at which things move um, and how that pace can be accelerated. And I think we just, again, need to be realistic. Now, that doesn't mean we're changing anything about Bitcoin itself. And I think that's where people kind of get a little hung up. Like, the only thing that is ever going to work, in my view, it's not these permission private chains, but like, let them build their private chains. At the end of the day, what makes this attractive is like open source, open public financial infrastructure that can be used by anyone, anywhere, no matter who they are, um, no matter what infrastructure they're using, no matter what end points they're using. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think we're not being very realistic. Uh, no, I love it. I love the realistic. Sorry, it was a little rambly, but like we need to be realistic. And that doesn't mean we're giving up on our ideals. It just means like, are we willing to do what it takes to get there? And right now, I just I think a lot of people are living in an alternate reality, and I don't I don't know how that actually is gonna work for them. I just think they're gonna be sorely disappointed, or they're gonna become AI influencers, and that's they can do that. <laughs> well, you know, that's where we're going next, Meltem, if this show doesn't work out. Uh, just kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to ask questions to Meltem yourself, request to speak, uh, please be reasonable when you come on stage because this show is recorded and uploaded to other platforms. Uh, if you don't want to come on stage, then click on that purple bubble in the bottom right of your screen and just tweet it out. Trevor, another fire question for Meltem? Yeah, Meltem, I love that you mentioned WeChat and because, of course, of WeChat Pay, right? And if we look at um, how the uh, China mainland ecosystem evolved and how they kind of leapfrogged the U.S. in mobile payments and, and being like easy to use in that UX uh, many years ago. And, and now perhaps in the U.S. we have like Apple Pay being like a very uh, easy to use 
uh, payment system. But both, like we've had PayPal for a long time. We had Venmo. We had these mo- like these products that were just focused on mobile payments that really didn't break through to a mass market. But with like WeChat and Apple Pay, th- there had to be like a Trojan horse approach to get the payments use case, you know, heavily adopted. Um, do you think that is something that we could learn from in the Bitcoin space? Like, is there a need for something else that, and then, you know, maybe it's store of value. I mean, Dan Held says it's like, you know, his theory, and I, and I really like it, is that like store of value and speculation, if we can get people to store, you know, the majority of their wealth in Bitcoin or a certain percentage, you know, that's when people are going to start needing to use it for payments. Like, it doesn't matter how many merchants accept Bitcoin, they've, they've accepted over the years and canceled it because people haven't stored enough of their wealth in Bitcoin to demand paying with it. Um, you know, what do you think that Bitcoin needs sort of like a Trojan horse, like go to market for adoption, uh, like before payments become, you know, that payment vision is, is realized? Yes, to all of the above. Um, look, at the end of the day, I think there isn't any one channel, but I think this vision, right, of you like owning something and then other people buying it and your entire cult being based around number go up, like that's not very attractive to the rest of the world. That's not very attractive to the people that you want to buy your your bags number go up. That's like, that no make you sense. Um, so I do think, um, I like that sort of articulation, but it's not just about wealth. It's also about like, I, I think that we are sometimes too dismissive as silly fun things that feel like toys and games. If we look at the silly things that made Ethereum the powerhouse, what it is, it's ERC-20 tokens and shake coins, like ICOs and all this garbage that got built in 2017 is what got people excited about smart contracts and programmability, right? Um, and composability. And that led to DeFi, which like was more garbage. And now there's like actual very real things that you can do that don't rely on these ponzinomics of shit coins or DeFi shit coins. And so one thing I just sort of like get sad about is I love memes. I love jokes. I love lols. Um, and I think oftentimes the most novel and interesting things come from the silliest like little experiments and these play things. Um, and so I think one of the things that we're really missing out on, why I love wizards, uh, Taproot Wizards, why I'm rocking a Taproot Wizard, like they're fun. They're funny. We have people taking showers, like fully clothed. That's funny. And it feels gimmicky, but it feels cringe. But it's infinitely more exciting to me than like listening to yet another podcast where we talk about number go up and like Bitcoin is going to save the world and the end of the fiat debt system. I'm just like, God, this is so not inspiring and not fun it's not fun it's not interesting it doesn't like spark intrigue there's nothing actionable that i can do with this information that i need to own 10 bitcoin for my family to not be like feudal slaves to some bitcoin mega billionaire right it's like not that compelling but what is exciting is like hey we have these little wizards that exist on the internet and if i do some like funny zany stuff Maybe I'll get one of these funny little wizards. And that's a very specific example. But I think that we sometimes, like, everything needs to be so serious and, like, DEFCON 5 sort of level intensity in Bitcoin sometimes. And I just, in the world that we live in, it's not, that's not how you win hearts and minds. I get it. The message is extremely important. But we have to approach it with some levity and, like, 
we have to be inspirational and inspire hope in this like doom and gloom the world is gonna end and like if you don't have at least a bitcoin you're like have fun staying poor like that's that's not exciting that just is like mean honestly Oh, couldn't have said it better myself. I, I should note, Meltem, uh, and we have the wizard headmaster himself on stage right now, that the uh, the wizard shower that you mentioned is recommended, but not required. Just wanted to clear that up for all the litigators that are uh, present right now. I'm sure there's a bunch of them in the audience right now that were licking their chops there. No, just kidding. Uh, but we have Udi, Udi on stage. Udi, uh, you know, how do you feel about Meltem's commentary here? <laughs> Meltem is the perfect wizard, you know. Like I think that uh, it's first of all, it's not. I'm not. I'm not the head wizard. It's not. It's not really up to me. The wizards don't have a leader, you know. Like it's just just a movement that happens. Um, but we uh, we we're trying to we're right now. We I don't know if you if you look at the top of wizards um, profile on Twitter right now, you'll see we've been retweeting like a bunch of like, I don't know, I think it's hundreds at this point of people who are packing up their wizard hats to Bitcoin, <laughs> to Bitcoin 2023. Um, the, the, <laughs> the, the big thing we want to see happening is like a lot of, you know, our people showing up to Bitcoin Miami and saying, hey, you know what, Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't have to be just, um, you know, talking about Mac podcasts all day there's like that's fine people can do that if they want to but also um there's a bigger make the coin fun again that, that might be interested in other things make exactly coin. just make bitcoin magical again yeah i want to believe in magic and i like again you know at this pace we're all going to be slaves to michael saylor because he owns the most bitcoin and like that doesn't sound fun i don't want to work on michael's farm <laughs> uh, so we got uh, we got Lawyer Cat on stage, who I let up from the crowd. Looks like Lawyer Cat is chief legal officer at MetaBoy Inc. Lawyer Cat, do you have a question for Meltem? Uh, yeah, I do. So I love the conversation about all of the degen fun um, that is bringing people to Bitcoin. Um, and when we talk about the us versus them dynamic of the ordinals crowd versus like the the og laserized whoever reclusive people that have disappeared um i think what we need to do is remember that bitcoin is a consensus-based protocol and that, that there is no us versus them it, it's literally votes on a ledger and we need to get people who are interested in bitcoin from the degen shitcoining into running nodes and participating in support of the network, you know, decentralized support of the network so that we can have a more balanced, more democratic representation of the people who actually use Bitcoin supporting that network. And hopefully we can also talk those people into donating money to Bitcoin Core because that seems critical to development of actual utility use cases on Bitcoin which I see so many incredible potential, so much incredible potential there. Um, you know, not only like from a legal perspective, but also just from a technological perspective, the things people are doing, inscribing executable code, um, you know, being able to potentially have on-chain indexing, like there is just so much that can happen um, if you can have like secure, authenticatable, uh, you know, interconnected Satoshis with code inscribed on them. I mean, I just see so much potential there. 
Um, you know, you can inscribe HTML on a Satoshi. You could have a Bitcoin internet um, that is hosted on Satoshis. You know, I, I just, you know, lawyer cat. What else I could in inscribe on a Satoshi? Oh, what? A dick butt. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, and I, Melton, I noticed that that's your LinkedIn picture, so I can tell that you're making it, you know, keeping a very professional profile to the non-Twitter business world also. I am uh, incredibly <laughs> professional, sir. <laughs> I have many diplomas. And so <laughs> um, anyway, so my, my question is just how do we get people from the DGen shit to support of the network? That, that's a great question. All joking aside, lawyer Kai, I apologize. I'm trying to, you know, keep the energy level high here. Um, look, I think that's a great question. And what I ask myself often, I wish there was a straight answer, uh, a clear answer. I apologize. Um, but there isn't. I think uh, often, you know, things like this are not linear, which I think can be sometimes a, a challenging if you're like a, a linear or like very structured thinker, right? There are like shape rotators and word cells, is that the thing? And like, we have a lot of shape rotators and think very programmatically and like think through things in a very systematic fashion. But one of the challenging things about like innovation and adoption is those aha moments and those like days where entire decades of history get rewritten and change. Um, it's very hard to define, like, it's not something you can manufacture because there's something very organic and ephemeral about those moments. Um, so actually, there's there's two great books I just want to throw a shout out to, and I'll try to quickly summarize them. Um, book number one, Wanting, uh, by Luke Burgess. It is basically a, a good summary and sort of modern day take on uh, Rene Girard's uh, mimetic theory. Um, like mimesis is basically a, a psychology of why people want things, hence why the book is called wanting. But I think it's really helpful to understand mimetic theory and how mimetic theory plays a role in shaping uh, cultural narratives and like what is popular and driving our human behavior. So wanting is great book number one to sort of like further examine how we can start to create conditions uh, that would lead to these mass adoption moments, number one. And then number two is a great book called um, Alchemy, uh, which is a book about marketing. Uh, I forget the author, so if anyone like happens to pull it up, but the book is called Alchemy, um, and it's basically about like how things become viral and this sort of intangible magic of these iconic brands and these iconic companies. Um, but it kind of delves into like practical use cases and examples of how people have made magic in the world of business and innovation. Um, so Alchemy, I'm pretty sure that's the title of the second book. Um, yep, by Rory, Rory Sutherland, yeah. right, Malcolm? Does that ring a bell? Yes, thank you so much for, for including that, yes. And so those two books, I think, taken together are just really helpful. Um, again, not an answer, lawyer cat, but I do think history doesn't re re repeat, but it does rhyme. I think one of the things we sometimes forget in this industry, and this isn't a criticism, I'm guilty of it as well, like we sometimes believe that everything we're doing is novel and new, but there's literally nothing new under the sun. We're just like repackaging the same concepts in new uh, ways with these new tools. And so I do think it's really helpful to be a student of history and to sort of take a look back at, at time and what has worked and start to examine some of these like underlying patterns. Um, so I highly recommend those two books. They've been really informative to, to me. Um, and again, that's why I sort of gravitate towards like the thing that will probably drive and kick off a new season of adoption is going to feel a little bit silly. 
am I not being incredibly profound? But again, what that then spurs and the economic capital and social capital and human capital that then spurs can actually help us build like all these other things we're really excited about. So the aha moment, like it's never a clear line. It is a twisted, curvy, weird line. And honestly, the other thing I worry about, like some of what's happening is incredibly dystopian, um, like central bank digital currencies, you know, incredibly dystopian, incredibly scary shit like world coin, like beyond dystopian. So people are like, oh my God, Sam Altman, like open AI, like jerking off seriously, <laughs> getting so excited. Like this is literally also the person who created WorldCoin. And when they combine all of this behavioral data, predictive data about you in a large language model together with having all of your financial data, right? That's like incredibly potent and super scary. So I just think um, we need to be better students of history and um, we just need to be like, I think sometimes more aware, like the things we get excited about, I was very confused by. I'm like, yo, this is like real, real dystopia. <laughs> I don't know how excited I am about this. So, lawyer cat, that was a non-answer answer. Um, hopefully, that was somewhat helpful. It was fantastic, Melton. We even got some uh, book recommendations out of it. So that was pretty cool. Um, dare I say, Melton has been uh, perhaps the funnest guest that we've had on the show so far. And obviously, uh, an incredibly strong guest when it came to you know this general discussion about Bitcoin and thermodynamics. Uh, but Melton, you know, as we wind down here, is there anything that we didn't get to discuss that you definitely wanted to you know cover? Anything else on your mind uh, that you'd like to communicate to the audience? No, I'm just really grateful that um, people are willing to like listen to me speak for <laughs> an hour. That's uh, painful. Look, um, I try to be not serious sometimes because I think in being not serious, we can talk about really serious things. Um, it's kind of like Pagliacci, the clown, right? If anyone's familiar with that, like the clown holds the mirror up to the world and actually reflects like the reality of what is happening. And so these things that look silly and clownish to us, I think are sometimes very apt commentary of like the state of our world and the state of our economy and the state of our society. That's why I love memes, frankly, because they allow us to communicate just like vast volumes of information and also a lot of feeling in these really simple, somewhat silly images. And I think like nowhere has the meme of like money printer go burr been, been more, more, more relevant, more exciting. We had a meme that was about monetary policy. Like, when have we ever had a viral meme about monetary policy? Kind of dope. Um, but look, the only comment I would have is keep asking questions. Um, yes, like, belief is incredibly important. And the thing I've always loved about the Bitcoin community is how many incredibly passionate people there are who show up all day, every day, because they are so passionate and so excited and they so fervently believe in some version of this future we've kind of loosely been talking about and there's so many different things it can mean to people right which i think is really beautiful and that's what makes this so exciting is like there's so many different types of people who get excited about very different things but i think in bitcoin there's like a little something for everyone there's a little rabbit hole for everyone to sort of go down and get excited about and i think that is just so cool um so exciting and so i love the passion I don't always agree with everything, but I don't have to because my opinion, frankly, doesn't really matter that much. At the end of the day, right, um, markets are these beautiful machines. Um, Bitcoin is one of the last, if not the only free markets in, in the world. And so um, I think just looking at the data and looking at the empirical evidence around adoption is really important. 
because people vote with their wallet, right? People express their sentiments through their actions. So we have to look at the numbers, we have to look at behavior, we have to look at the spend, where people spend their money, what people are spending their time on to really like be able to validate some of these hypotheses we have. But I think it's, it continues to be an incredibly exciting like thing to be a part of. And I love the enthusiasm, number one. Number two, what I would just like caution everyone or maybe one piece of advice is think for yourself. Do not be afraid to have opinions that are controversial. I have a lot of controversial opinions and I also change my mind. I'm wrong very often. And the beautiful thing is you have a hypothesis, you get presented with a bunch of information and you get to change and adapt your hypothesis because you learn. And uh, that process of learning, I don't think should stop. Even if what we learn is contradictory uh, to some of the beliefs that we might have. So I would just encourage everyone to sort of, um, you know, don't stop learning. Don't stop having your own opinions. Like, so what? Opinions are like assholes, as my dad would say. Everyone has them and they all stink, um, which is such a funny phrase to me. Uh, so please use that as, as you will. But look, I think having an opinion, um, being educated and informed about your opinion, and then integrating new information as you're presented with it, integrating new model, new mental models as you're presented with those, is a really useful thing to do. Because again, the only constant in the universe is change, um, is this like ongoing battle between order and disorder. So accept the chaos into your heart, and, like let it flow through you. And instead of trying to rigidly make something fit into these very narrow confines, that have been prescribed to you, why not let them evolve organically um, and, and build systems that accommodate this change and allow this entropy, this disorder and and sort of chaos to, um, to thrive. So that's it. Incredible uh, closing monologue there, Meltem. Even got a Pagliacci reference there for all the Italians out there. I love it. Uh, Meltem, wh where should people go to find you besides following you on Twitter, following CoinShares? Where else should people go to find you? Um, you probably shouldn't find me. <laughs> like I said, if you see me run. No, I'm just kidding. Um, look, I, the Twitter is, is great. Um, I'm not as active these days. I'm like, I'm going through some of my own mental model, rethinking, um, trying to figure out, you know, what, what I want to talk about right now. I just feel like I have some stuff to think through um, myself, re-examining some of my own beliefs. Um, you can find me on the internet. I'm a child of the internet. I'm the village idiot of uh, crypto, as I like to say. <laughs> so if you want to engage, uh, give me a shout. My DMs are open. I try to respond. Sometimes I'm not responsive. Um, yeah, just give me, give me a friendly poke. And then if I see you down in Miami, say hi. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Love it, Melton. Well, this was a real pleasure. So much fun. Thank you so much for coming. Ladies and gentlemen, Melton is the Chief Strategy Officer for CoinShares, longtime Bitcoiner, investor in over 250 Bitcoin businesses. Melton, thanks so much for coming. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is... Yeah, this is the Bitcoin show uh, every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time right here on Twitter Spaces, also available on Apple and Spotify podcasts where you can find badass guests like Meltem every single yeah, week. Meltem, you're muted. Something to close with? Yeah, and every single week on the Bitcoin show, we will also be asking our guests uh, how they've contributed to, to the Bitcoin course. 100%. We're going we're gonna to trap them. No, we're going to find out. We're going to no, dig in. And it's we'll, not trapping. Uh, and if they say, oh, I haven't done that, uh, let's send them to great places. Uh, Chain Code Labs, MIT DCI, 
Um, I believe there's a, a new one as well, Human Rights Foundation, HRF, uh, funds individual Bitcoin devs, um, tons of places to donate. It's also tax deductible for all you tax savvy optimizers out there. Um, look, it's not about I, I gotcha. It's like, let's help create a culture that is responsible. And I think what would be responsible is for people who want to come on here and talk about uh, security and economics and all of that to like do the responsible secure thing and to donate to helping keep it secure. That is all. Absolutely love it. Donate, ladies and gentlemen, and I will make sure that our future guests are asked whether or not they've donated. Anyway, come back next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time for this show. Share the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, follow the Bitcoin Show Twitter account. You see it as the host here. We'll be back next week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. And one more big thank you to Meltem for coming. Shout out to the co-hosts of the show, Trevor and Aubrey Strobel, Trevor Owens and Aubrey Strobel. Udi, thank you for coming, buddy. Uh, Lawyer Cat, thank you for asking that question. We'll be back next week, ladies and gentlemen. Catch you next time.